Hi, this is Bob Hale. I'm excited. For 25 years, you have been coming to Inman Connect. Now, Connect is coming to you. Find out the details at Inman.com. Hi, this is Brad Inman with my Daily Dispatch. I'm real excited today to have an entrepreneur and a female entrepreneur, which we need more of in real estate. And we need more of generally in leadership positions. And this woman in a very short period of time has stepped up and helped lead the tech world in real estate to think about everything a little bit differently with her new company that she co-founded, Divi Homes. Welcome, Adina Heffitz. How are Hi, you? Hi, Brad. Thank you for having me. I'm good and um, hope you're doing well amongst everything going on with COVID and you're, you're safe and uh, in, a, in a sound quarantine location. Yes, we are. Thank you very much. And you too. You're in Colorado, correct? I'm right now in Colorado. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, at least we're in good places. We're lucky. Um, tell me this. Um, you're a really smart, savvy entrepreneur. You have an incredible background. You went to Stanford. You worked in Wall Street, kind of tangentially, or less venture capital. You, you, know, you've, um, you brought a breath of fresh air to the real estate industry. I know when I met you at one of our events, I thought, wow, who's this person? She's excited and passionate. Um, I would say it takes brains, passion, and money to get to the moon, and it takes that much at least to do a startup. So you're just moving merrily along with some incredible investors, and boom, like all of us, the pandemic hit. What's it like being an entrepreneur in that situation? I guess my first question, you're well capitalized to get through it, and then you know, what are your challenges as an entrepreneur with the deep freeze that we're all experiencing, not only in the real estate, but the world economy? Yeah, I, I um, believe me, it, it's, it's something that's quite unexpected. If you had told me at the beginning of March, we were having our, our best month that we've, we've ever had, um, that, that we were going to have um, the impact of the coronavirus, I would have never believed you. Um, I think one of the best opportunities during this time is just really for growth. There are no books, no lessons, nothing you can go through that will prepare you for things like um, having to go through deep cash flow planning, making sure that your runway can be you know, close to two years, um, taking extreme measures to cut both OPEX um, as well as, as personnel. By the way, you said, you said uh, Adina, you said uh, uh, two years. Is that the new standard back in my day when I, I started a lot of companies <laughs> during tough times? At least 18 months, but I think two years, but 18 months happened really quickly. Well, I think you have every plan. You have your, I can still grow and, and 12 month plan. You're in extreme cash preservation mode and, and 24 months. Um, and then 18 months, it's kind of somewhere in between. My view is coronavirus came on suddenly. It was week by week that all of a sudden it changed. And so your reaction to how you can recover is also going to change week by week. And whether I need 12 months, 18 or 24 months of runway changes with every little piece of data that comes out every week. Um, so I'd say that, that this entire experience has been a strong lesson in how to lead through adversity um, and hard times, um, how to think about cash flow and, and runway planning. And then three, to really call into question basic assumptions you made with your business, which is, you know, we're gonna hire for head because we expect to grow. And if, you know, that growth is either going to slow down quite substantially. What cost have I put in place that I actually really don't need? In some ways, I actually find that during these times, it forces you to actually really take a hard look at how much money you're spending and, and what your plans are as a company and question every assumption and push yourself a little bit harder to be more creative, more thoughtful, more frugal than you had been prior. Yeah, I think that's well said. I know 
I'm sure you and I know all of us, where our personal consumption patterns have changed dramatically, primarily because we don't have a lot of ways to spend our money, but we've had to, right? And I think business, what I'll call business consumption, frivolous marketing, um, unnecessary headcount, um, things that are, you know, wouldn't it be nice, you have to give up or what do I really need to, to you know, be a caretaker of the business during a tough time. Let's quickly um, share your business model with our audience because you have a place for realtors to participate. And I'd love to know that. And also any tweaks or tilts that you've made to the model and is it relevant in this time or do you, or do you find it just doesn't quite fit? Yeah, so, so Divi's a, a rent-own or hybrid between renting and owning. Um, we help create homeowners. So if you have a customer who is unable to get a mortgage, what Divi does is we will purchase a home on behalf of the customer. Uh, the customer moves into the home of their choosing and then pays us uh, one monthly payment that is part rent and part equity building. Um, so we actually let the tenant build equity in the house and then they can stay in that house and either apply that cash when they're ready to get a mortgage and, and buy out the property or if they choose to leave, we'll cash them out for their percent ownership. Um, and so we, we structure it as a three-year program, but if they want to purchase the house sooner, they can. And we're working on an extension piece on the back end as well. Um, so See, it's really- seems like, That seems so relevant right now, if it can be communicated, and maybe not someone unemployed, but someone that is renting, right? Yeah. You're taking a renter into a rent-to-own, not with their current house though, right? Not with their current, they get to, most people are living in a rental property. And so this is, they would go out and shop from any home that's listed for sale in the market. So, so let's why, prices get, get stuff down a little. And um, I'm renting anyway. Let's say I'm in an apartment and I don't want to be in a dense environment and I want a little single family house. Um, I could move to that single family house, correct? Correct. And I would rent it you would own it. I would pay you rent in effect. Is that gonna be outrageous rent or reasonable rent? What, how is that determined? We, we charge market rent, but we put on top of it, the equity building and savings piece. So generally it's market rent, plus we force you to save in the equity of the home. Our view is we don't want a generic renter. We want someone who's in the equity with us and aligned in, in increasing the value of the home. And so I don't have a down payment. I'm a renter. I might as well use this time since everything else in my life, I can't build to the future, right? But it'd be a way to incrementally build to the future, kind of like an IRA. You know, an IRA always pays off eventually. It doesn't at the short term, but long term. Owning a house always pays off. Does that make sense? I don't want to, maybe it's just not going to work yeah. in this environment, but can you imagine it working maybe? I actually think it works better. So uh, first, first principle is I think that coming out of this crisis, families more than ever want a secure place to call their own and to live in quarantine. Living in a multifamily apartment um, when, when COVID is, is breaking out, it's just not fun. One, it's tiny. But two, you're, you're in a community with a lot of people going in and out of the elevator, um, sharing a common space. So if anything, the fundamental idea of owning uh, a home has become more valuable than ever before. Yeah. The second principle that's kind of associated with that is that um, getting a mortgage is actually a lot harder right now. So uh, with, with the outbreak of COVID, mortgage underwriting requirements have tightened pretty significantly. The amount of down payment that is being required, credit underwriting has gotten much tighter. 
And so as a result, you have, um, it's more challenging than ever to actually be able to purchase a home. So you have more people who want a home, they're unable to go through the traditional method of getting a mortgage. And so they actually look for alternative sources, which Divi is one of those alternative sources of financing. I've run across a couple startups doing things that you, you could, if they can get the word out and, you know, it's a hard time to like expand your horizon, right? It's enough just to make sure your feet, your, you know, you're cooking and you're, you know, staying safe and you're, you know, trying to manage your finances to add to that moving or home. But you can, you can imagine maybe in the fall of saying the air clears a little bit, this being opportunistic. Now, your capital, as I assume, venture guys gave you the operating capital and private equities behind the actual acquisition costs or what, how does that work? So we raise debt facilities. Those debt facilities come from, there's generally a senior and a MES piece on the debt facility and the senior piece comes from a large bank and the MES piece comes from a credit fund. And have your investors been standing behind you or they all gotten nervous and walked away? No, they've stood behind us really well. Our portfolio, um, fortunately, knock on wood, has, has performed extremely well through all of this. Um, I think one of the tougher things we've experienced is um, government has put in place a couple of restrictions that would seemingly make our business uh, more challenging. I think, in fact, um, what we've seen through this crisis is that our renters and tenants act more like homeowners. They care more about paying their rent. They don't want to lose their home. They have equity invested in it. Um, and they think about this as the place where they're going to raise their kids one day. Um, so if anything, our model, uh, from my opinion, is holding up, I think, better than it, it does for most single family landlords during this time. Tell me, what would be some of the Divi, some others in your category that might represent now an, you know, an alternative to what I'll call the kind of unstable uh, mortgage market. I was talking to Anthony Shea of Loan Depot, and he was talking about how shaky the whole mortgage infrastructure is right now. The big banks have withdrawn. Um, the secondary market is squeezing up. Uh, are there others in your category? Because I just wrote a story about what I used to call my latte vision. And I, I realized I should throw some of you all in there that are doing things maybe as an alternative to what I call the Freddy Krueger of real estate, which is the mortgage. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I put it into, there's a few people who do um, these hybrid rent-to-own fractional home ownership plays. Right. So it's us, it's Zero Down, um, there's HomeBest, there's Landist, um, a few other folks. Um, there's Zero the, Down, what are them? Some, because I know our readers are, are listening. Zero Down was one, what was the other one? Zero Down, Landis, HomeBest. Um, they're, they're, they're all very similar to what Divi yep. does. Yep. Um, the second group that is come out of sort of tech has been mostly the HELOC plays or reverse mortgages. They're actually doing very well right now, um, which is that most people have a pretty significant amount of equity in their home. And during yep. times like this, they're actually tapping into them. So that's like point, that's figure. Um, and so, so those are kind of like the other, other forms of how to get cash or capital out of your home. Yeah, yeah. those seem like really smart moves right now. I interviewed one of the founders of one of those companies recently. Very, very savvy, no doubt. Which which company? Oh, I'm spacing. I really can't remember, but I'll put it in my story, gang. Sorry. <laughs> Tell right. me what else. Let's talk about the, you know, the frozen, which is the economy and the real estate market. How bullish or optimistic you are that maybe in the fall we sort our way through this and you know, we do see more transactions. Um, it seems like it's more complicated than just us all isolating because we can actually buy and sell homes in isolation through digital technology. But what do you think's ahead of us here? Just, you, you know, you're, you talk yeah. to people. So I think it all comes down to what assumptions you believe. 
right? I think we're too early that we fundamentally don't know how this is going to long-term play out. And I can't predict the future, neither can most people. So it's a question of what do you believe um, and then applying those beliefs. Um, so obviously when COVID hit, shelter in place kicked in. You saw that across America, the number of showings dropped by almost 50%, right? The market just paused. You couldn't transact. Even if you had a closing that was coming up, you couldn't get a notary out to even, elect, to even sign on, on closing documents and paperwork. So for all intents and purposes, I'd say for the last, call it six weeks or so, the market has been largely frozen. And the yep. impact of that is we haven't seen price per square foot drop. We haven't seen, we, we haven't seen the market almost fluctuate at all because it, it just stopped, right? And it paused. And we're at this point now, which is really interesting, where shelter in place is being lifted across a number of geos. For us specifically, we operate largely. Um, Ohio is a big market for us, as is Georgia, both of which are opening up now. And so this is going to be the test next couple of weeks to see how the market actually performs. Um, and so I'd say while showings have declined pretty significantly, we've seen valuation hold up. And in fact, um, we've seen buyers still um, want to purchase a home, uh, even if they know that closing is going to be pushed out a little while. And sellers actually being a little more hesitant to actually put, put homes up for sale. And so the market has held remarkably well. That being said, despite me being surprised at how well the market has held for the last six weeks, um, I think the biggest assumption that you have to think about is just what happens with jobs, right? So unemployment today is roughly, I think most people put estimates at about 16%, which is, is the U3 rate, right? And so including contractors, other form, you're, you're actually closer to probably over 20% unemployment in the, in the U.S. today. And so when you think about what the impact of that is, if you are a seller of a home, if you cannot make your mortgage payments, right, and, and you actually have a decent amount of equity cushion, you're likely going to put more homes up for sale, right? So simple supply demand, that means supply should increase. If demand stays constant, right, prices should drop. That, that, that's how that should theoretically work, right? Um, but then the question is what happens on the demand side is can people still get a mortgage? Will they be able to actually still, still shop and buy a home? Um, and so if, if those folks essentially have, call it lost their job, right? If, if you have massive unemployment, both on the, the selling side and on the demand side, you're gonna see prices fall as a result of that. Yeah. However, yeah. however though, if you assume that there's government subsidies, unemployment insurance, right? If, if people are able to come out of shelter in place, get a job fairly quickly, I actually think the market will stabilize. Yeah. So the key linchpin question comes, this is all just supply and demand, is we have a high level of unemployment right now. Um, and do we think that, that that unemployment is going to persist? The longer you think that's going to persist, the more home prices will drop. Um, or do you think this is going to be a quick drop um, or quick spike in unemployment, but then we're going to recover quickly at which, prices, at which point prices should hold? fairly, or at least better than they would in the other scenario. Um, so I think it's more a question of how much government subsidies are going to be there and, and how long a period of high unemployment are we going to have in America? That was, a very, questions I know. that was a very articulate tutorial on supply, demand, imbalance. I, love it. <laughs> I used to write economics and I used to write about supply, demand, imbalance all the friggin' time. And that just, you said it so well. I wish you'd been around back in the day when I needed sources to explain it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It didn't yeah, sound like there's, there, there's really a dark side here and there's, you know, a middle side and maybe an optimistic side. We just don't know, right? The other yeah. thing I think is when does forbearance become foreclosure? Um, you know, one worry I have is it will then be right potentially for iBuyers and uh, 
you know, that's what happened last time. Wall Street, you know, kind of got us into the mess with subprime and then they didn't get us out of the mess, but they themselves made a second killing on foreclosures when, you know, Wall Street started investing in those. I suspect they're going to rev up their engines and they're going to turn to their partners like, you know, Zillow and Open Door. I presume those companies will think for, about the consumer first, but there's probably opportunities in that world too, right? Uh for sure. I mean, I think the question of foreclosure is an interesting one because it's all dependent on where home prices go still, right? Today, if you look at where home prices are and the amount of equity people have in their homes, it's much more equity than they did back in 07 before the last recession. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Right. So, so theoretically, they could just sell, take a 10% loss and still not have to go through a foreclosure, right? But if prices drop quicker than they're able to sell, well, then maybe they're going to get into rougher territory. Um, yeah, all the falling knife of the housing market. That's a scary thing that happened back in 10 and 11 and 12. Exactly. Um, so I actually think that, look, the foreclosure, the amount of foreclosures that we had back during the, the Great Recession actually created a lot of opportunity for, for single family REITs. Um, at that time, I buyers weren't really around. I mean, it came like a couple years later. Um, but I think that there would be a lot of opportunity for the Zillows and Open Doors of the world if that were to happen. But I also think that's a much dire and scarier picture because that means that home prices have dropped fairly significantly, that the equity that, that consumers had in their home has been washed away and depleted. Um, and it has led to sort of a, you know, a bunch of homes now being available at cheaper prices than they had been in the past. So uh, while it might be a good opportunity for the iBuyers, I'm hoping we don't see that world. Um, and my, my hope is that unemployment starts to, to fall quickly once we're actually to remove shelter in place, people are able to get out um, look for employment, um, and as a result, home prices and buying activity hold fairly significantly. Um, another interesting thought process, which which to go down, is also how this actually changes seasonality. Seasonality in real estate had always been fairly well known. If you don't buy a house before August, school's starting, and no one wants to move their kid one month in, and so September obviously starts to see a slowdown. Um, and I wonder if maybe even home buying activity during the year, that seasonality is actually going to get shifted around. Well, and and school may not be starting in the fall anyway. <laughs> so, That's true. That's actually a good point. Like, maybe it won't even impact anything. Somebody, somebody today told me it was, it was Monday. I had no clue. It could have been Thursday. I, you know, people don't think <laughs> it's May or September. So I'm not sure any of that really matters. Let me ask you a question. One of your investors is uh, Mark Andreessen, right? Or his fund? Yes. Andreessen Horowitz. Alex Rampel is the partner. I don't even if you know, Mark invested in my first company, HomeGain. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he did really well. And I got to know him quite well, him and Ben, and um, just amazing guys. And we wound up putting HomeGain on LoudCloud. We were the first company to do that. So I go way back with those guys, and they're really good. But something was came out pretty controversial from the, these folks. I think it was Alex Rample. Is that, do I have his name right? Um, Rampel, yes. Yeah, he was, a. I guess, a, he's a partner at Andreessen Horowitz. And uh, he talked about, was it software eating the real estate world or real estate software eating? What, what was the title of that video that he did? Oh, yeah, I would. Yes, I, I when he did their LP conference, I don't remember the exact yeah. name, but yes, I know right. what you're talking about. Was, you know, which I've said a long time is, you know, long protracted gnarly process of buying and selling a home needs needs to be shaken off and software will do it. Let me ask you this, kind of to close this out, we're running out of time in the pandemic and the deployment of technology that we're seeing, could that be this moment in time, and it's an essay I actually wrote today, but could it be the moment in time when software, real estate software, 
not not each real estate agent alive, but that really fundamentally alters the course we've been on with all of these legacy tired systems full of paper and you know a, a pretty bad consumer experience. Do you think the pandemic might be the lightning rod here? Well, I feel like I have to ask you, what was your conclusion from the essay you wrote today? Yeah, I'm an optimist. You know, I had something called the latte vision that I did seven years ago where I predicted that, you know, we could make home buying as easy as a latte and buying a latte. And, you know, I got laughed at, but people always remembered it. And uh, I went through all the reasons why this is happening now. Had nothing to do with Brad Inman's ranting and vision. It has only one thing, and that is a pandemic did exactly what you said. It forced us to use technology if we wanted to close a deal. And I think the only, the only part missing is the Freddy Krueger, and that's the mortgage. But if there are alternative ways to get a mortgage other than, you know, through the traditional big banks, which are the most bureaucratic, and I guess to start with Loan Depot and Quicken and then folks like you, then we could really do it. I think we could really get to a point where it's more efficient. And, um, you know, I think Zoom calls, honestly, like this are... I think of the last time I saw you, I saw you in passing and we were distracted and there are people around and, you know, there was so much noise and we're being called in different directions. And most of our contacts, human contacts, are in passing. Even when you visit a house, you know, you're disturbed, your spouse is in the other room, you're yelling, look at this, the realtor's talking, the realtor gets a call, they're on their tax, then you get in a car and you're in traffic. And whereas this has real meaningful sort of almost intimate contact and who hasn't laughed and cried on a Zoom call? There is such a thing as empathy, which is important in a real estate transaction, as you know, to move a buyer and seller through. Anyway, I'm ranting. I, I was very positive. I thought it was a good, it was a seminal moment in the history of real estate. I have spoken to a few, I would not call them a legacy, but I'd say more traditional real estate players that have started to embrace technology more than they ever had in, in the past. And why? Because um, crisis is the mother of all invention, which is if your business is going to fail, you will do whatever it takes right to to rapidly deploy whatever you need to do to try to fix your business and so i've seen companies who for the last five years have said that they were going to move to digital showings and never had that finally made in two weeks deploy complete digital showings to all of the homes that they were trying to to sell right and and i i do think that you know um COVID and has caused all of us to think about how we do business and how can we do it more efficiently um, and more more digitally? Um, and so I think that that's been um, a wonderful takeaway from this TBD on how that's going to stick. But I have, um, as someone whose business runs on on automation and technology, um, we have very much enjoyed the the wave of change that we've seen come. Hey, it's great to have you, and we wish you luck. And uh, I'm glad you got two years of runway because we need at least two more years of Adina and her insight. You're really savvy. You really are a savvy person. And you have a good grip and a good grasp of this industry. And you're, you're, you have a fresh set of eyes. So um, thank you so much for being part of the industry. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, stay safe. And it was a pleasure to see you over Zoom. Absolutely. This is Brad Inman checking out. Tune in soon to my next podcast.